Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. Our show is a great way to expand your village and fill your parental toolbox with as many resources as possible. I'm Genevieve Carr. I'm your host here on Parent Talk, as well as on Les Parents Parlent, which is Parent Talk New French Edition. I'm 43 year old, and I'm a mom of two boys, Alexandre, who is two and a half, and Nathan, who is almost one. Wow. I'm here with my co-host, Heather Fox. Hi, Heather. Hello, everyone. That's right. I'm the co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old, and I am mom to two little ones now, Hudson, who is just over two years old, and Madeline, who is two months old. And today, we are talking about sibling rivalry, and we have with us today, via telephone, Julie Romanowski. Julie is a parenting coach specialist in children's behavior, discipline, and she is an author, speaker, and of course, a mother. Hi, Julie. Welcome. Hi, Genevieve. Hi, Heather. It's nice to be with you again. Love talking about parenting, and I'm so excited about this topic. Yes, definitely. It's a hot one. Julie, my first question for you today is, what are the causes of sibling rivalry? There's many different causes as to why siblings fight with each other, um, whether it's brother, brother, sister, sister, or brother and sister, or a few children, or well, five or more. Um, it's usually attention-seeking. That's definitely one of the biggest factors, trying to get mom or dad's attention. Um, trying to actually get somebody else in trouble or some sort of revenge. That's another big factor. Uh, say, my little brother bugged me yesterday. He got a bigger muffin than I did, and I was upset. So today I'm going to stick it to him, and I'm going to you know, yell and scream and, and bug him a little bit, and mom and dad are going to get him in trouble. So that's another big factor. Um, it's also how children find their place in the family. What role do I take? Just because I'm the oldest doesn't always mean I'm the leader. You can have a very strong personality from a younger child. So that definitely plays a role. How do I fit in this family? The hierarchy, if you will. And then another sort of big factor is this is how children problem solve. And who not better to do that with, with the people you're living with, the people up in your face all the time. And so that would be your siblings. And so it's a combination. It's like the perfect storm. It could be one of those. It could be all of them. Um, and then there could be simply just feeling fatigued, hungry, irritable, and anxious. So that's why it happens so often. That's why it's happening to families all over the world with children of all ages. It's all of these combinations. And when we can get in there as parents and sort of dissect and find out what's really going on, it's going to help with the solution which many, many people are after because it seems so challenging. Is it normal? Is it happening in every family with siblings? It's hard for me to say that it's happening every family, but yeah, the majority of families, it's happening, and that's here in Canada and all throughout the world. And yes, it is normal. 
just because children fight doesn't mean there's a problem. You don't need to rush off to the doctor. You don't need to give them any kind of medication or anything like that. Children fighting amongst themselves, it's going to happen in the home. It's going to happen out in the community, you know, at school and on the playground. And it is part of development. We have to know how to deal with someone who has hurt us. We have to know how to feel the feelings when we want to be revengeful and retaliate with the guide of parents, caregivers, and teachers. So, yeah, it is a big part of development, and it is necessary, believe it or not, and it is totally normal. Wow. How do you deal with sibling rivalry, then? That's a, that's a loaded question. So, yes, there's a <laughs> lot to talk about with that. What do we do? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it really depends on what, what the factor is, what really is causing it. Sometimes you're going to know for sure, and sometimes you're going to be totally perplexed. So I'll give you a few different solutions and sort of methods, if you will, and then, and then sort of keep them in your, in your mind for when it, it does happen, you have access to them and then can try them and use them right away. So the first thing is, is, yes, of course, knowing that it's normal and developmentally appropriate. Because when we think or perceive it as something being bad or something is wrong with our kids or we've got the only two children who fight this badly, um, it's going to send a panic signal. And then that's going to cause us to react and usually react negatively. Um, so just be aware that, yes, it's normal. And the approach here needs to be neutral. So a lot of parents have told me when I do my one-on-one coaching that, oh, I'm sick and tired of being the referee. I don't want to be the referee anymore between my two children. Um, and nor do you have to be the referee. However, it is still our responsible, responsibility as parents to be the guide. Children of these younger ages, even up until 10, 11, 12 years of age, can't necessarily solve these problems on their own. So they need our guidance. And when we are a guide and doing that role, if you will, under the parenting scope, we need to remain neutral. No different than a guide taking us for a hike up into the woods. And if they're freaking out because of the weather, there's possibility of bears and no food to eat, it's going to send a panic to the rest of the group. <laughs> so we have to show leadership at that time. So instead of using the word referee, I really want to encourage parents to try and use that um, that uh, definition of leadership or that word leadership to these situations. And so uh, just to keep going with a few more um, tips and, and solutions, uh, try to avoid saying to kids, ah, figure it out on your own. Ah, I'm not dealing with this anymore. S simply only because it's not effective, it's going to potentially exasperate the, the situation that's going on. And children, if they could figure it out on their own, they would be. Um, so really do watch out. Use your discretion. There are some tiny little uh, arguments that, yes, children can absolutely figure out on their own, but we want to first be an observer of that. Come into the situation. Take a look around. Is this one they can deal with? Yes, it is. It's about, you know, sharing cookies on a plate. They'll probably count them out. Or is this something larger? But always offer your guidance and leadership, and then kids, you'll be able to sort of judge the scenario or the situation. So also, another tip, too, is to remember role modeling. Those young children, whoever it is that's in that sort of fight, um, will be looking at you and at your leadership. 
So it's not so much role modeling how do you interact with your brothers and sisters, although that could be interesting, but more so how do you act when there's a problem? Are you huffing and puffing? Are you screaming and yelling? Or are you remaining neutral and, and putting the cards on the table and saying to kids, okay, right, what's going on? So-and-so needs this. So-and-so doesn't want to give that. And it's how you're acting as the help or the problem solver. So remember, um, your role within sibling rivalry is also very much part of this. Okay? So it seems as though it's always the brother and the sister that are doing all the fighting, this, that, and the other. But our role as the parent in that is also very, very key. Now I want to jump into when there really is a huge problem going on and we have to help kids problem solve. So this is a little bit more fine-tuning, a little bit more detailed. And there's um, some really basic rules I like to offer parents that can then offer that to their children. When anybody is causing hurt, Okay, that's in any relationship, anywhere, with anyone, at any time. There is something very basic we need to say to children. And it is, you are allowed to feel hurt. Okay, you're actually allowed to feel any feeling that's in the book. Frustrated, mad, angry, disappointed, pissed off, whatever it is. I kind of generalize it as just the word upset. So you are allowed to feel upset. But you are not allowed to be hurtful. And you'd be surprised at how many kids don't know that defining piece. We assume a lot, um, but in the heat of the moment, when a child's very agitated, stressed, and angry, it is so critical to say to a child, I hear you, I get you. You're allowed to feel those ways. You want to validate that, absolutely. But we also have to draw the line at it is not okay to be hurtful. And that lesson early on, makes a huge impact on how that child's going to solve problems for the rest of their life. So, so when you say this, you can point, start as early as like my little boy that's telling me, no, mommy. Yeah, as early as, early as infancy. Everyone asks me that question. And I always start with infancy. In fact, a lot of what we say and do is actually in utero. It's all the learning's already happening. So in infancy, yes, a child who's nonverbal, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. So let's just fast forward to a child who's already verbal, like a toddler, one and a half year old, but saying no, no, no. Um, he's allowed to feel upset. And I would say that. I know you're upset because you want the whole jar of cookies, okay? <laughs> you're allowed to feel that way when I say no. But you slapping my leg or throwing that toy at me and being hurtful and taking that situation that part's not okay. And yes, they will understand that. I love okay? it. Awesome. So in, when I say in infancy, I'm not talking about a <laughs> newborn. I'm just saying that in infancy, they're already learning and understanding. So when we get a child who's re sort of showing resistance back, retaliation back, it can start as early as 12 to 14 months. And that's still considered infancy. And yes, they will definitely understand it. Definitely. doesn't mean just because you said it, they're going to turn around and be like, okay, I won't retaliate or say anything or hurt you anymore, mom. It is an ongoing lesson, but the, the correcting of the behavior can happen at those earliest of ages. Right. So once we get that part sort of sorted out and the child is having that um, lesson uh, talked about often, which is you're allowed to feel any feeling you want, but you're not allowed to uh, be hurtful, you're sort of stuck with, well, then what do I do? 
And that's another big part that we have to get very precise and detailed about. And so we're telling our kids what not to do very, very well. But um, seldomly do we tell them what they can do. And many people who follow me know that I'm a big believer in telling kids the black and white version of everything, what you can do, what you can't do. They need to have both in order to know where they fall in the middle of that. And so a big part of, well, if I can't hurt my brother who just stole my toy, my favorite toy, and I feel like punching him right in the face, well, what can I do? And so it's very important to talk about these three things, just three general rules that everybody, everywhere, at any time, um, it's simply use your words. Sounds obvious, but when my instinct is I want to pummel my brother or sister, it's going to be hard to go to using my words because hitting somebody or hurting somebody gives me a faster reaction. So we really want to create a pause there in a space. Let children know use your words is the first port of call. Okay, your body's going to feel like hurting someone or punching, kicking, whatever it is, but you can't. What you can do is use your words. The second sort of rule is if that's not good for you, not working for you, you ask for help. Okay, if there's no help around, you go and get help. That could be mom, dad, teacher, what have you. And then the last one is take a break. So you may feel like hurting somebody who even hurts you back. And it's okay to feel that way but it's not okay to act that way. You have a choice of using your words, ask you for help, or take a break. That's how you solve problems. And it's being delivered by a parent who's neutral and showing leadership at the same time. So I'm not saying that's going to solve sibling rivalry. That's not going to make every brother and sister be at complete peace (laughs) 24-7. But it is one of the very critical ways on how we deal with it. Excellent. So, Julie, what age does sibling rivalry actually start? It can start at the earliest of ages. So that could be, um, you know, an 18-month-old or a 2-year-old who's receiving a new baby brother or sister. Um, And already the defenses are up, like, okay, who's this little person? Okay, hang on. Mom and dad are paying a little bit too much attention to the new baby in the blanket. What's happening? I don't like it. And that can start at those earliest of ages. Mm-hmm. However, it can look differently as children grow. So then when we're talking about four, five-year-olds or even 10, 11, 12-year-olds, that's when things get a little bit more physical. Um, so really, to answer that question, it's happening at any time um, of any age, at any time. So with a new baby, of course, with Hudson, we did lots of preparation. We read storybooks. We talked a lot about baby, um, any friends that had babies. We talked, you know, about being gentle with the baby and how we're going to have a baby, all that kind of stuff. But now with baby here, how can I help Hudson with having a new sibling? Those are all really good things to do. And uh, teaching your child about this new change that's going to happen, that's the first thing you do. That sounds excellent to me. But in reality, when he wants to sit on that new baby because it's crying too much, okay, he's not going to pull out the book. Okay, he's not going to be. He's not reaching for the book. Time. No. So, so the instant solution, if you will, in these like whoa, right in the heat of the moment times, is validation. 
validate every single feeling. It's no different than what we just talked about earlier, but validate. I know you're mad at baby brother or sister. I see that. Oh, she or he is crying too much. I get it. So people always ask me, how, how do I know what to validate? It's simple. You just give back right what you're getting. You're just a mirror. So if he's crying, you validate. I can understand you're crying, or I see that you're crying. If he's screaming, yelling because the baby's, you know, taking too much attention, you validate that. It's whatever the child's desire or feeling is at that moment. So that's not, that's what you want to do instantly, validate. Because if you say, well, you can't cry about that and add judgment or blame or shame, you're you're adding that fuel to the fire, (laughs) and it's just going to go spiral out of control. So validate the child's experience. We want our, our oldest child or eldest child to have a great experience and love their new baby and brother. They might not. And that's their experience. So it's really important to honor that, and you do so by accepting it and validating it. Okay, so that's what I would be doing after the learning part, after he gets all the facts you know, from the book and from all the discussions, we have to put it into reality. So when it hits, when he reacts, we want to validate um, basically the upset that he's having at that time. And then sort of afterwards, we want to always revisit in a gentle way and talk about what happened, the parts that weren't so great, and offer solutions of what we can do better next time. That's how you actually correct behavior. Sending a child in time out to their room or punishing them because of their reaction doesn't teach them what to do better next time. It can actually create a worse situation and create more anger and revenge and resentment. So when we have this delicate situation, and I'm focusing more on Heather on, on the younger age groups because that's uh, children that you'll have right. are these early years, um, and it can change, and, and I can add more to older children for sure, but the foundational basis is all, all the same. Yeah. And so we want to remain connected to our child and help guide them through this life lesson. And here we go back to sort of square one. How do you deal with it? It's through our role modeling and an example of leadership, saying you can feel but you can't hurt, offering the three rules of use your words, ask for help, or take a break, and allow the connection and bond between the two of you still remain, even when things get challenging and stressful. We don't want to add in any punishments. Uh, We really want to avoid that. That doesn't teach children what they're supposed to do. It teaches other negative things. Okay, so you, you're at the beginning stages here. Um, once baby arrives and, and, and kind of the impact of a new family member hits <laughs> us and um, you will be seeing different behaviors and different effects and that's okay. It's because it's a change and it's different and, and all young children will need time to adapt and adjust accordingly, but it's hard to do that on their own. They really need the guidance of parents at that time. Mm-hmm. So how does sibling rivalry affect our families then? Well, if the sibling rivalry is very intense and very challenging and very physical and a lot of hurt is being done across the board, that can be a wedge into any relationship or any family dynamic. 
I would, I wouldn't get to that point. It's not a phase. Kids don't just grow out of it. I'm, I'm in my forties and I still fight my, with my three sisters and brother-in-laws. <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't go away. And no matter how much you separate or be tempted to referee or, or, you know, do any of those things, it's still going to be there because it is a necessary part of how children find their place in the family, uh, problem solving, all those things we talked about. But if it's getting to that point where it's affecting relationships, whether it's between parent and child, parent to parent, it can also cause great stress on marriages, that's when you need to seek help. Um, and you can say, yeah, it, it, I get that it's normal, but it's becoming out of hand and I don't know what to do. And that's perfectly normal to feel that way. As parents, we don't get the, the guidebook or the job training or raises or bonuses um, as we learn things. Uh, we're in it. We're in feet in the fire. Like, it, it's go time. And if you don't have the answers or can't access them easily enough, yes, you ask for support and guidance and help from, from the outside. So it can affect families greatly. That amount of stress of anybody fighting or arguing has such an impact that I don't even think we have even begun to understand how intense um, it actually is on brain development and how children learn to be in relationship. So it is very serious. The odd squabble here and there, of course, the tips are going to help with that. But if you find that there's a level to which you reach, which is out of control and you are just some, some parents are even scared out of their mind the way their kids fight. Um, that's when I would step in and get some further resources. Right. Is there a way to stop it? <laughs> a way to stop it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop it. So, again, it's a necessary part. Anyone who's heard me talk about tantrums, too, I'm a big advocate for tantrums. Everyone wants tantrums to stop because they're frustrating, annoying, and, and inconvenient, but they're very necessary to brain development. Same thing with this. I don't want children to just be pummeling each other and beating on each other every day, all day long, but they do need to have the opportunity to learn how to problem solve together. There is no way those children in the home are going to be able to go and problem solve with others out in the community uh, at school or when they're adults in the workforce or even in higher education. There's no way the problem solving is going to be terrific there if it wasn't great at home starting with siblings. So we really have to in, uh, be aware of its importance. I'm not saying poke and prod the kids and get them to fight. <laughs> okay. I don't even think that's necessary. <laughs> um, but allow, <laughs> allow some opportunity. Remember, it's a normal part of development. It's okay. There is a fine line between it being out of control and too much. That's what I just talked about. But for the most part, You don't want to stop it. I think if we suppress it and stop it, bribe it, threaten it, punish it, it's going to burst out of the scenes and it's going to come back at you twofold. So if we can um, think of this as still part of everyday life, it's not a pleasurable part, neither are tantrums, but it is a necessary part, just like eating our vegetables. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> it has to happen. It's within a, a secure, safe context. It's with leadership. It's knowing what to do and how to deal with it. And then knowing when to draw the line and seek outside help if it's becoming too crazy and out of control and even borderline abusive. So there's a lot to think about there. 
So that's why it's one of my favorite topics. It's, it's a big one. Yeah, definitely, because I'm really happy that uh, you could come today and talk to us about this, because this topic was asked from a lot of our listeners, actually. Yeah. So thank you so much. I'm sure it's going yeah. to be uh, helping a lot of families out there. Heather, I think it's time for a conversation card. Can you please pick one and read it to us? All right. So today's question is based on the saying, to hit the hay, so which means to go to bed. <laughs> and after a big day of self-sibling rivalry, we'll all be ready to go to bed. <laughs> so this, uh, this saying actually originates in the early 1900s. Uh, mattresses were often filled with straw or hay. So to hit the hay meant to go to bed. So the question is, it's a simple one today. When, at what time of night do you usually hit the hay? <laughs> Oh no, you oh wow, you're you're hitting a nail on the head with that question. You're not going to believe this. I might I might send people into shock, but uh <laughs> late, lately, believe it or not, I go to bed at like eight o'clock p.m., sometimes even earlier. Wow. Um there are times where my son, he usually goes to bed 7 7:30, you know, somewhere in there, he's six years old. Um And I'm counting down the minutes till he goes to bed so that I can go to bed. Because I think it's illegal for me to go to bed and he's still up. <laughs> wow. Um, I wish I could be one of those people that stayed up till midnight and get all my work done. I used to be. Um, uh, but I enjoy my sleep and rest. This is something fairly new for me. I, uh, I think it, it has a lot to do with the concussion that I had. Uh, unfortunately, I was in a bad car accident and and got hit really uh, hard with my head against the car. And um, apparently, after you have a concussion, sleep is the greatest sort of healing thing you can do. So I'm not always like that. I've never always been like that. I've been a, a, a huge lover of sleep and rest um, and having alone time and peace and quiet and hitting that hay, um, but more so lately. And I'm okay with that. It used to bother me. But I'm okay with that now because um, in this phase of my life, it's, yeah, it's, there's a healing going on and no better way to heal the brain and body than with good, solid sleep and rest. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> For myself, I'm definitely a night owl. I always have been and I probably always will be. <laughs> Um, I, so I have to kind of more force myself to get to sleep. Um, when I was pregnant, I was, I had a lot of insomnia. Um, so that was even harder to get myself to go to sleep. However, I'm really good at taking naps during the day. <laughs> so, oh dear. But yeah, no, hitting the hay is a, is a later thing for me. Um, I don't do things well in the morning. Um, I would much rather get as much done at night and then hit the hay and then I wake up and I can go to sleep a lot easier knowing that the job is done. <laughs> so that's for me. Yeah. yeah. I try to do 11, but it's usually around 12. So I'm like Heather. I'm a little bit of a night owl. I get a lot done at night and not so much in the morning. But uh, yeah, actually I would like to say 10 o'clock, but it's, you know, I, I would love 10 o'clock to be in bed. It's just not happening. It's 12. If I go to bed, I just can't fall asleep. Oh, really. yeah. Like I can, I can put myself to bed and I just go, okay, now what am I doing? <laughs> Stare around <laughs> the room. What do I do now? <laughs> so I'm in bed. Now what? Yeah, now what? Now what? <laughs> yeah. Can oh. I cook, clean, and organize everything while I'm lying down exactly. in bed? Yes. <laughs> get, the, get the phone out. The worst thing to do. 
All right, ladies. Well, that concludes today's episode. I want to thank you, Heather and Julie, for joining us today and helping us growing our village. For our listeners, if you want to hear a little bit more about Heather and I, we are releasing some mini episodes called Real Mom Moments, where we talk about what's happening in our daily lives. If you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the Contact Us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on any platform where you like to listen to your favorite podcast. You can always subscribe directly to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Take a minute to review us. We want to know what you think. And remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a great week. Bye. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner. Thank you.